Welcome to Coach My Wellness, a weekly show dedicated to bringing you information about healthy habits and behaviors just for the health of it. Here's your hosts, Joanne and Tammy. Welcome to Coach My Wellness, just for the health of it, with Tammy Sinclair and Joanne Orshan. So lately we've been talking about how setting goals and trying to reach them and all of that, those kinds of things. And we've been hearing from people who say, listen, I know what I want to do. I just can't seem to get myself to do it. So we're going to talk about a little bit about that today. And how do you do that? What does that mean? How can you motivate yourself to move forward? And it has a lot to do with what you believe and what you believe about yourself and your skills and what you think you're going to be giving up in order to attain something else. Well, you know, Tammy, there's this saying that says, I believe that I can do it. And whether you believe that you can or you believe that you can't, you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. It's really a matter of how you're thinking about things and what you believe and how you talk to yourself. We've talked a lot about self-talk and working on being positive so that we're giving those kinds of clear messages to our brain because the brain cannot decipher the difference between a good thought and a bad thought other than negativity and positivity. Right, sort of how we react to it. Of course. And uh, again, even if you don't necessarily believe that you're where you want to be, you know, the old saying of fake it till you make it, if you're thinking positive thoughts and turning your dialogue around of the chatter that you have and what you say to yourself, you can really be reinforcing a positive state instead of dwelling on the negative state. Yeah, you know, you you caught me in that a, a few weeks ago because I was using but a lot. And it was very funny because in thinking about that and the things we were talking about is like, oh, but, 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 and that's sort of like the escape hatch. This is what I want to do, but I don't believe that I can actually do it. So there's a but in there. There's a but involved because that becomes the escape hatch out of the submarine. And so, and it's true. We work on ourselves as much as we're coaching each other and coaching Clients, because we're all on a journey to get better, to be better people, you know, to enlarge our sense of self and capacity and our self-efficacy. So what is self-efficacy though? Some people ask. So we hear these big words, what self-efficacy, what does that mean? And it just means your belief in yourself in how much you believe you can actually accomplish what you've set out to do. And that... Yeah, I was just going to say that in 1977, Albert Bandura, who's a Canadian-American psychologist, he's also a professor at Stanford University, had coined the definition of the term self-efficacy. And what he proposed in his original concept, in his own words, as a personal judgment of how well one can execute courses of action required to deal with prospective situations. And so therefore, self-efficacy is really a person's particular set of beliefs that determine how well they can, you know, one can execute a plan of action in prospective situations, which is 
directly from Bandora. Or to put it more simply, in simple terms, self-efficacy is a person's belief in their ability to succeed in any particular situation. And that can be overwhelming sometimes because we can have goals that are so beyond what we think we're able to accomplish. And what it takes is just a belief in our skills and our ability to get there. There are a lot of different perspectives on this. Kathy Colby, who's an educator and a best-selling author, thinks that believing in one's own abilities can be vital in measuring even cognitive strength. And she believed that self-efficacy also involves determination and perseverance, seeing is how it helps one overcome obstacles that would interfere with utilizing those innate abilities to achieve their goals. And, you know, self-efficacy is used a lot in health coaching because it has to do with a person's belief about what they can accomplish what they can give up because those obstacles come up, right? You're, you decide, okay, I've got to get my blood pressure under control. I've got to get my diabetes under control. I need to lose 25 pounds and here come the holidays or here comes a party. And I could either view that as a massive obstacle that is going to cause me to fail, or I could say, all right, what's my plan of action to get around that, to get over it so that I don't, I don't lose out on the social aspects of my life because I have a goal for my health. And, you know, it's, there's four ways that you can develop your self-efficacy. And the first one is, you know, what they call mastery experiences. And that's really just having a perspective from things you've already accomplished. So you could say, like for me, I'm working on a second master's and I've really been struggling with getting the last few classes completed. So everything is done, but three classes. And in that, I could either sort of give up and say, oh, I just can't do this. Or I can utilize my prior mastery experiences to say, listen, you've already done a bachelor's. You've already done one master's. You've already done this. You've already done that. What's, what's keeping you from doing these last few classes? Well, one of the quotes from Bandora, as we were talking about him before in determining efficacy judgments about things, which is really what you're talking about, is in those performance outcomes. And what he says is that positive and negative experiences can influence the ability of an individual to perform a given task. And if one has performed well at a task previously, he or she is more likely to feel competent and perform well at a similarly associated task, which is what you were just talking about, even as far as taking your exams. Right. So how well have I done in the past? Well, pretty well. I've done okay. So I have an expectation. My self-efficacy is I have an expectation that I'll do well in the future if I just put in the same amount of effort, right? So that's the basis. That's one of the 
four pillars to how you can begin to make these life changes. And so many times when we're coaching, I don't know about you, but I have clients who say, all right, I know we talk about this all the time and you're holding me accountable, but I just don't get it. I don't understand why this has to be such hard, you know, so, so difficult. And, and so we'll often talk about all the times that how they're comparing now to the times in the past when they failed. And they see this as just another, going to be just another failure, so why try, right? And so it's kind of learning how to immediately recognize that and how to talk yourself out of it and and identify it for what it is and call yourself out. Well, one of the things in coaching that we focus on is not dwelling on the things that haven't worked for you in the past, because that just brings up, believe it or not, some more negative reinforcement of your lack of ability. So in dealing with talking about what your strengths are and the positivity of what you're able to accomplish, and we change, again, the dialogue into a more positive mindset, that will automatically give you the ability to focus on possibilities for having success in whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Right. There's an old saying that says, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And it's practice, practice, practice. And that's exactly what it is. So you're practicing where you've been successful. You're practicing going over those thoughts. What made me successful in the, in the past? How can I utilize that? And that's how we improve our skill and acquire new skills. All of that goes together. And so it's changing the I can't to I can, which we talked about a couple of shows ago. So you can learn how to rephrase things in your head. As soon as your brain thinks them or your mouth is getting ready to say them, it's like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, draw that back here. And if we were not on the radio, you would see me grabbing above my head to pull back words, right? Because I'm very expressive like that. But that's what it is. And it's learning how to catch yourself in those moments so that you can stay on that positive trajectory. Of course, having people in your world that can help to support you even when you're speaking negatively to yourself. Remember we talked about the way that you might speak to a loved one or a friend or family member if they were struggling with an issue, the way that you would Mm -hmm. encourage them and support them and talk about the things that they've done in the past that they have really succeeded in. You don't sit down and have a conversation and talk about all the times that they've failed at things. Right. So it's looking at what's worked in the past what is a possibility for change for the future and supporting not only by yourself, but also that, you know, environment around you to make sure that you have those people in your world that can keep you in that same light instead of being those negative, you know, as they say, Debbie Downers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Those people that just keep bringing negativity into your world. It's so important to surround yourself with people who are there to help you and support you on your journey, whatever that journey might be. And, you know, one of the things in the practice, practice, practice 
is throughout that process, you are unknowingly reinforcing your ability to succeed. And you're teaching yourself that you are capable and you have that capacity. Now, perhaps you're a person that doesn't have a very robust support system. So how are you going to get that positive reinforcement? How can you engage someone who's on your side to get that positive reinforcement? Sometimes that's engaging a health coach. Sometimes that's getting a friend involved to go to that aerobics class or that dance class with you that can also just be there and you both can laugh and stuff together when you're like, oh my God, I really want that piece of chocolate cake, but I'm not going to have it. I'm going to hold up on that because I'd really rather enjoy the work I'm doing towards losing that 25 pounds or towards getting my sugar under control. I'm laughing because yeah, I think sometimes some of my clients, they talk about that they have their foodie buddies Mm -hmm. or they have their drinking buddies. Right. And And that's usually in the negative, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens is that you're, you know, you know, thinking about, oh, which one of my friends, you know, if I go out today is going to like be okay with like pigging out on something that I know isn't in alignment. Unlike when I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone that doesn't know, um, you know, it's very interesting because Tammy and I do spend quite a bit of time with each other. And, you know, Tammy, you're very open about your bariatric surgery in the past and what your lifestyle is of choosing to eat. And I could say that Tammy is not the person that if I wanted to go out and splurge on having whatever it might be, <laughs> you wouldn't be my buddy in that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's great to have your company. You still wouldn't be my buddy in that one. Exactly. You know, and, and not to get it wrong, we do have little splurges together, but we're not like, because we hold each other accountable. We don't wink and nod to say, although sometimes we do. <laughs> You know, it's funny, Tammy and I just went upstate and we spent kind of a powwow together for five days as we were working together. And on the way driving up there, she told me about this place, which I had never been to. And I go to our home up there quite a bit. And it had to do with the world's best pies. And I'm laughing because I don't even like pie. I don't really (laughs) even eat pie. But it was really funny. We stopped on the way, and she's looking and looking. I'm saying, okay, she's going to buy all this pie, but I know she's only going to have, like, one bite of her pie. But it was like, okay, I'm going to go on this journey with her. And I supported her in her just experiencing, looking at these different pies, buying the one that she wanted. And I knew that, okay, I could support her in this journey, but I knew that she was only going to have, like, a bite or two of each. She Mm -hmm. was not eating the entire pie. Right. So there I was supporting her. Maybe it wasn't the best choice because you were doing or buying something that maybe wasn't in your true alignment, but you had a desire to not be in that state of deprivation. And it was really important to explore that and not feel guilty or have negative feelings about it. Because when you deal with moderation, that's that part of self-efficacy, truly, in knowing that 
okay, I can go out and I can buy the pie, I can buy the cake, and I can satisfy my craving for it by having a bite or two or three, but mm -hmm. that's really it, and then I can move on. That, in right, a right. way, I have to tell you, is self-care, because a lot of the other struggles that many of us have, those thoughts can go on and on and on. I know you have something else to say, but then I have a situation that I thought would be interesting, which happened to me this morning. So why don't you go ahead and then well, I'll come back to that. Talking about the thoughts that go on and on and on, how many times do you hear people who say, oh, I bought this cake or there was cake at the office for my birthday. And so I had a piece there and then I brought it home. And then that's all I could think about was, ooh, that cake that's in the refrigerator that I brought home because it was so delicious in the office. So what you're doing is because you're entertaining that is you're knocking down your own self-efficacy. So you have this ability that you've been teaching yourself, right? We just talked about that, the positive way of thinking, and you teach yourself how to do that as you're going through the struggle. But then you introduce something that Instead of maintaining that positive perspective, you begin to entertain all the other bells and whistles and desires, which then increases our level of feeling dissatisfied. Oh, I can't have that. Everybody else gets to have that. Oh, I can't, I can't believe I'm so deprived. And we're not. And it's learning that you can have one or two bites and then be like, okay, that was really good. I really enjoyed it. And now he needs to go away. So I have been working as you are and my clients are very much in that mindset of finding our strengths and dealing with those other thoughts that have a way of creeping into their into your heads. Mm -hmm. So this morning was very interesting. I am going in for a surgical procedure on Tuesday, and I'm really a little anxious about it because I know it's going to be a long recovery, but it's something that I know I need to do. So this morning, very early, I had to go to the hospital to have my COVID test in my mm -hmm. medical clearance piece. And I was driving home, and there is this fantastic eatery right near my house and for some reason as I'm driving by I'm saying I think I'm going to stop because I really want to just get them in the mood for a cup of coffee and I want a seated roll with egg bacon and cheese on it and I, yeah I know oh because that's so out of character it's for so me. not you <laughs> out of character and my body was calling and I'm and I'm laughing because I had this dialogue I passed the eatery and I had another stop to make and in the back of my mind it was with the intention all right I'm gonna do it no I'm not gonna do it I was like having this battle going back and forth and I was like all right I'm gonna do this other errand then I'm gonna go back and you know uh -huh. what what the heck I'm just gonna get it I need to like comfort myself. And I started to really think about 
all of the work and the effort that I've done to um, release the weight that I put on throughout the pandemic. And I'm feeling really good about those decisions. And I've worked really hard and I understand the psychology behind what the craving is. I was able to connect it to that comfort of having the surgical procedure come up. And I had to really sit and think about, was it worth it or not worth it? And Mm -hmm. is it in alignment with what it is that my main goal is that I have really been working toward? So that was pulling on my strengths as a coach, my strengths as self-care in knowing Mm -hmm. that I didn't want to go through you know, putting myself in a situation where if I knew that I ate poorly in the morning specifically and I put the cheese and I put carbs back into my body, it was going to cause additional cravings. And I have to tell you, I wasted about 15 or 20 minutes this morning having this dialogue. Yet, what wound up happening was I said, it's not worth it that Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to do something different that I know will be in more of alignment with what my goals have been. And I will get past this if I stop thinking about the craving and I need to keep myself busy with something else. That was, to me, self-efficacy 100% in thinking about I could be... I don't want to say the word weak because I really don't like that, but I could have given in to the negative behavior. Mm -hmm. I made the decision not to do that because I knew that I would be able to get through this. Right. And I believed that I had the ability to pull on other strengths that I had to make a better decision about it. And, you know, look, a couple of hours has kind of come and go. I came home. I made my own coffee. I had my usual breakfast. I felt really darn good about the decision that I made, but it was interesting even in knowing what I know in having that dialogue, and I wish that I could have reached out to you or to somebody else to help me talk through it, and then I said, nope, today I'm going to talk to myself as my own best friend. It was really powerful. And that's that's huge. And, you know, that goes back to the part of self-efficacy where you're teaching yourself that you you're capable and you can do things and believing that you're capable of achieving the tasks that you set out for yourself. Right. And and so all of that goes into it and you're not basing it on some future unknown experience. You're basing it on where you've been successful in the past. And that, hey, I've done this in the past. I can do this again. And so you're reinforcing, yeah, the skill. I may not be great at it. It may take me 15 minutes or 20 minutes to kind of move through that whole process. But A, you were aware and you were able to recognize, oh, this is what's going on. I'm anxious about the surgery. This is a comfort food. I just want to be comforted. And how am I going to manage that? And so we learn how to do that. And again, we, how do we get to Carnegie Hall? You practice, practice, practice. So that was good practice for you. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even think about it in relationship to what we were going to be recording today, 
But it really does fit in to, you know, another piece of what we're talking about, which is really knowing that I'm competent enough to make a decision that is going to be beneficial to me. And I'm doing something in self-efficacy and self-care that is also beneficial to me. So how I relate to all of that is the positive piece. And did I really miss that other breakfast that I was considering having? Maybe a tad, maybe it would have tasted really great, but then I would know all of the repercussions that would have happened with my actions of doing mm -hmm. something that was not in alignment with my goal. And mm -hmm. I don't want to think about the negative consequences of what would have transpired had I made that choice. I want to focus on the positive space of making a better or different choice for me because that was in alignment with my particular goals. Mm -hmm. Now, it might not have been that way for somebody else, right? Someone else's right. goal might be different than mine, but this is my specific goal. So that's why it's so important in all that we've been talking about for these past several months is identifying what your goals are, scaling them out so that you have an idea as to the roadmap that you need to be on in order to achieve what you're setting out for. And as you say, practice, practice, practice until it just becomes what you do. Right. And, you know, before I had my surgery, I would never think that I could have just one or two bites of a piece of pie or a piece of cake and be like, it's okay. I now I remember what it tastes like or, or how many times have we had something that wasn't as great as we imagined it to be, but we still finished it because it's there and, oh, I wanted it. And so I'm just going to eat it. It's like, I've gotten very good. And before I had my surgery, there is no way that I would have been able to have that one bite and be like, Ooh, I don't really like this. And then threw it away. Cause I'd be like, Oh, I spent $5 on that. Oh, what am I going to do now? That wasn't so good. Let me just, let me just eat it. So having all of these things, but we learn through that. And we learn through having vicarious experiences and looking at other role models. So, you know, for us, we can play off of each other based on the people that we associate with or the people that we coach or the groups that we're involved in. And hey, if I have a client who's really been struggling with such and such, and now that situation is presented for me. Oh, I'm working with them to do this. So yeah, they've been successful. So I can, I can be successful too. You know, seeing people that are similar to me accomplish and achieve what, what they've set out to raises the observer. So raises my expectations and beliefs that I too can accomplish it. You know, Tammy, also, as you're saying, to just elaborate a little bit more, it's so important to have positive role models in one's life. Mm -hmm. Because especially someone who really displays that aura of health and wellness and being self-efficient. It's someone who you can look up to, someone who you might want to emulate. Um, you know, I have a girlfriend every time we go out to dinner, I mean, she really doesn't even think about it. She just orders her salad. She has steamed vegetables. She has a nice, healthy, lean fish. And this is just what she does. And mm -hmm. 
the exercises, she really has all the pieces of the puzzle together. And it's very different going out to eat with her than if I'm going out with someone and they're getting, you know, the cheeseburger deluxe and French fries and vanilla mm -hmm. milkshake. Right. It's a different head. And it's giving yourself either permission to go down one road or the other as long as it's in an alignment with what it is that you are trying to achieve. And especially for those of you out there who are struggling to perhaps shed some pounds or uh, make a change, just remember, just by wishing it so is not going to make it be. It takes right. effort. It takes work <laughs> to, to make those things happen and create change. It does. But and I've said, but again, I'm not trying to negate it. <laughs> Both of us are catching ourselves on those butts. And the benefit, not the but, but mm -hmm. and the benefit of making those choices that are in alignment with what your goals are, just are the catalyst to propel you to continue to move forward toward your goals, whatever those might be. It's sort of like osmosis, where... When we have those positive role models and in our life, whether that is a teacher, an older sibling, older friends, camp counselors, parents, aunts and uncles, things like that, and we see them succeeding in these things, we sort of just absorb that we're able to because that's how self-efficacy works. Oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And I think about boot camp, right? In the military, how you take these, these kids that are eight, 17, 18 years old. Some of them are fit because they were on the football team. Others of them are not fit. And you see how they go from their first few weeks at boot camp, hardly being able to do anything, but then they're seeing their compatriots finishing whatever the drill sergeant has demanded that they do and sort of the mentality that takes over of if they can do it, I can do it. I'm not going to let them beat me. I can do this too. And so it's kind of developing that belief in the self that you're able to do things. For sure. We're going to come back for part two of our series today and continue this discussion on how to build your own self-efficacy and that will help propel you toward what your goals are. So I'm Joanne Orshan here and I'm with Tammy St. Clair. Tammy St. Clair, coach my wellness just for the health of it. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Welcome to Coach My Wellness, a weekly show dedicated to bringing you information about healthy habits and behaviors just for the health of it. Here's your hosts, Joanne and Tammy. Welcome back to the second half of Coach My Wellness just for the health of it with Joanne Orshan and Tammy St. Clair. Today we're talking about self-efficacy and what is it and how do we build it? And so we've already talked about 
our mastery experiences. So keying into the things that we've already done in our life that we've been successful at and utilizing that as the basis and the launching point for moving forward in a new endeavor. And we've already also talked about having vicarious experiences or utilizing our role models to help us along. And by doing that, we're able to take their success, have them share it with us, and use that as well as our basis for moving forward. So this idea of social persuasion, of encouragement, that's really where having people cheering you along. You know, there's a reason why on the first Sunday in November, not only are there the thousands of people who are running the New York City Marathon out on the streets, but as well as all of those people cheering them on, because when they get to a certain mile, everybody, they call that like the dead man's mile, because that's when tons of people fall out and stop running. But other people, when they get there, people are cheering them on. And so they look at the other runners that are that are continuing on in the race and they take that encouragement and they use that as the the oomph to finish the race. And so it's really important that we utilize those social relationships to encourage us along. It also is important in how you talk to yourself. And I think in every one of our sessions that we've talked about is that internal monologue or that internal dialogue, how you talk to yourself, how do you say things, whether you can do it or you can't. So this is where it's really good to work on that. And then this is how you put it into practice. So in supporting self-efficacy, Tammy, one of the goals of using this process is to really increase someone's sense of believing in themselves and that they have the ability to make a change in a desired area. And it really describes the, it's that circular relationship between what you believe and taking action. And the more that you believe you can do something, the more likely you are to do it. And if you believe that you can do it more successfully, then perhaps you'll believe you'll be able to do it again. Mm-hmm. So we talked so, about so many things. I thought it would be nice. There's a coaching scenario that uh, we have in some of the literature we've been studying. And I thought it would be really interesting for our viewers to listen to the type of dialogue that might happen between the coach and the client in working together to help someone to identify the best way to start to figure out how to develop their own sense of self-efficacy. So Tammy, why don't you take the role of being the client and I'll be the coach and we'll just have a very short dialogue and this will give you a feeling for some of what we do. All right. So I really failed at my goal to not smoke over the weekend. Tammy, I know that was a challenge for you and I hear your disappointment. I'm frustrated. I'm mad at myself. I know I can do better than this. If you want to reach this goal, I know that you can. So let's rewind and see what can be learned here. 
What factors do you think contributed to your decision to smoke after you committed not to smoking on the weekend? Oh, I know exactly what happened. I was out running errands, so I was in my car all day, and I didn't stop to eat lunch. Before I knew it, I was smoking in my car. So can you connect the dots for me? How did that situation lead to smoking? Well, first, once I was hungry, I had no willpower, and I wanted to put something in my mouth. Well, that's interesting, because maybe there's something to learn here about your triggers. Yes, I'm definitely less likely to make a good choice when I'm hungry. That's an interesting observation. How are you going to apply that learning in the future? I'm going to make sure that I either bring something with me or I have a plan at where I'm going to stop during the day to make sure I get something to eat. Exactly. So in other words, to quote an old adage here, nothing succeeds like success. Mm -hmm. on what you have accomplished in the past and how you can apply it into the future to achieve the goals that you're setting out for yourself is really the key to your success. So it's important for clients of ours and the people that are listening to set appropriate goals. And once that can correspond to where someone is and what it is that they're looking to change or improve in their lives. So receiving positive feedback, you know, like we just went through, allowing me to think through the process of what happened without judgment, right? Without, uh, because I've already been judging myself between the weekend and when I got to my coaches, my coaching session. So taking that and thinking about it as if we're also dealing with like an elementary school kid that you're encouraging them. You can do this. You can do this. They're afraid to go up on the slide at school because it might be really, really high you can do it. You, you have the ability, you can climb up there. You're not going to fall. You can do all of these things. And so it's verbal persuasion works at any age, but the earlier you start, the more likely it is to build self-efficacy in a, in a person. So that's why having Parents encouraging children, teachers encouraging children are such an important thing as opposed to telling them all the time, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Here, do this. You can do this. This is what's what you need to be doing. You're still getting them to do what you need them to do just in a more positive way. And, and that really comes down to choice. Mm hmm. Well, when I had my kids, when they were younger, we did a parent and childing education. I know that may sound strange to many people, but my husband and I were very much in alignment with making some decisions on how we wanted to raise our kids. And in the education we had received, it was always about, you know, the logical consequences for your actions. And that was the beginning of change for all of us. So, for example, if one of my kids uh, in those days took a videotape and broke it. It wouldn't be, well, 
you can't go to your friend's party this weekend because you broke the tape. Mm -hmm. More of the consequence related to the action, such as, well, looks like we're not going to be able to watch your favorite video that you wanted to see and this needs to be replaced so how are we going to do that it's going to cost money are there certain things that you can do to earn your way to replace this you know it was this whole process that and it was a lot of effort that it had between us in order to speak the same language and to speak to our children in a way that could reflect the consequences of their actions but that they were logical so they made sense right so many times in the emotional and psychological state that we have you know when we're feeling so negative it we tag in all of these other things that don't relate at all to what the action was you know the consequence just doesn't make any sense for that so when you can really think about the well-being of a person and how it can influence how they feel about their abilities in any particular situation it's so important to really think about the choices that you're making and the decisions that you're making that it's really based on what it is not all that old stuff that you have that just keeps repeating itself over and over again and then making choices that have nothing to do with what it is that you're trying to set out. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember when I was a nanny and needing to teach, you know, the, the little boy that I was a nanny for the longest using that philosophy, right? So I would pick him up at school and then we would go home, have a snack, and then we would go to his karate lesson and he would get changed at home and everything. But then he started dawdling at school and not coming out. So then there were times where we didn't have time to do anything at home other than I would run in, grab his uniform, and he would have to change his uniform in the van on the way to, you know, his karate lessons. And so, so many times he would be like, oh, but I don't, I, it's not right. This is like, listen, we know what time you get out of school. We know what time we have to be at karate. And so when you dawdle and don't come out, that's what happens is you lose your time to actually go home, really get your uniform on, get your gi on. And, and so when the sensei says something to you about, Hey, how come your belt's not tied properly? Or how come you don't have your, your undershirt on? You only have your outer shirt. You can't look at me and say, Oh, well, my nanny didn't bring it. Well, because and because the sensei would always say, well, why not? Isn't this uniform your responsibility? And he hated that, but he learned quickly that there were, there were consequences. So it wasn't anything horrible, but being called out, because none of us like being called out, but it was enough when the sensei would call him out that he soon, on the days that we had karate, Man, he would shoot out the door and we'd go home immediately and he would get dressed while I made his snack and then we would be off. So that positive, doing those consequences that match the 
the offense really works. You know, in talking more about the emotional and the physiological states that we have in the well-being of somebody, it's really important to understand how that all connects with each other and how it could influence how they feel about one's own personal abilities in a particular situation. A lot of people that we've been talking to struggle sometimes with depression or anxiety. And if you're one of those people that suffer with that, you might find it a little bit more challenging to have a healthy level of well-being. And but it's not impossible. Exactly. It, it's not impossible to build self-efficacy while even you're suffering from some of those struggles. But it it can be a little more difficult, but it's because it is much easier when you already are in a positive state of mind, because it's not just the sheer intensity of the emotional or physical reactions that's important, but how you perceive them, right? So with your kids, the correction to breaking the tape wasn't you know, out of proportion or out of alignment, they didn't get a spanking. They didn't get, you know, sent to their room and grounded for a, a week, but they perceived, oh, this was now, what am I going to do when I get home from school and I can't watch my favorite video? My kid, what am I going to do when the sensei says something to me about how my uniform is not right? And so people who have a high sense of self-efficacy are likely to view their effective arousal as energizing for performance, whereas those who are have a lot of self-doubts will see it as a debilitator. So, oh, I didn't do it really well. That's it. I'm never going to do that again. I can't. I'm, I suck at this. I'm not going to do this. And so what that does is that leads you down the path of saying more and more and more, I suck at this, I can't do this versus, oh, I can do this. This is it. We're going to be okay. I've got this. So learning how to manage anxiety and enhance your mood when you are experiencing those challenging situations is really a great way that anyone can improve their sense of self-efficacy. Yeah. And, you know, Bandura wasn't the only one who explored self-efficacy. There's another psychologist, James Maddox, who also developed a fifth source for positive self-efficacy being imaginal experiences or visualizations. So when we think about sports figures who visualize and you have these coaches who say, visualize the ball going right into your hands, right? visualize it, just see it in your brain. It really is a thing. When your brain sees it, whether it's creating that vision or not, it learns to to match it in the physical. Well, that goes for pretty much almost anything. I mean, every thought that we have, every action that we take starts with a visualization. Uh, it could even be something such as, if you're planning to buy an automobile, you're visualizing what the car looks like in your head. You're thinking about it. You know, that visualization really happens whether or not you're paying attention to those thoughts. Right. So whether you're in that, 
I think I can brain or I think I can't brain, what ends up being your visualization is going to match that. And that's going to be the outcome. You know, that old saying, remember that old saying that says it's so mm -hmm. close. I can taste it. I can almost mm -hmm. taste it, right? I can almost taste it. Right. So that's the visualization about putting yourself in your head in the position to be able to think about that you have the ability to achieve pretty much anything that you set your mind to. Right. And it's in this method, it's the ability to enhance your own self-efficacy or that of your, your child by focusing on painting a picture. That's why vision boards work so well because you're painting a picture and you're telling your brain in those moments, this is what I can achieve. This is what I can do. So, you know, I don't know about you, but when I ask my clients to do a vision board, they often will hem and haw and make sounds like they think it's a very childish thing. And talking about visualizations, Maddox said that, yeah, this is how we can see ourselves. So visualizing what you want will help you to get there. Like when I remember there was a, a baseball movie that came out, I don't know, a decade ago. And like part of the whole funny part was be the ball, be the ball, you, right? Like you wanted to go here. So be the ball, just be the ball. And we have to think about that when we're visualizing what we want to do and how we want to do it. It's like, just be the coach or be the whatever that you're hoping to be that that's in your, in your vision of where you want to go. There are a lot of different ways that one can visualize. Uh, it's interesting, with one of my groups this week, we just did a whole exercise on this exact piece because it all starts with creating the bigger picture. And so many times, many of us go through life where we're just winging it, where we don't really put a lot of thought into the choices that we make, the decisions that we make. We don't really know where we're going. It's kind of like life just happens. Mm-hmm come from a place of putting together a game plan, of having a roadmap, it creates more of the sense of self-efficacy in the place where we know that we can accomplish the tasks we're setting out for ourselves. Many mm -hmm. of us tend not to put down things on a vision board or a wish list that we don't think we will ever attain, but the whole point is to just dream really big and then you know that is the big picture and then of course the behaviors that we adopt as we sail through life are the pieces that will help us to either have those desires and dreams become a reality or not because we all really are pretty capable mm -hmm. yeah there are very few of us that are not capable and it really does have to do with how do we see ourselves? How do we believe that we're able to accomplish what we've set out for? 
And it's really important with children that we make sure that we give them, you know, the skills to see themselves as capable. So how do we encourage them when they fall off the bike the first time, when they fall off the bike the seventh time and they're frustrated and they're hurting because they've scraped their knee or they, you know, scraped their elbow and they're just like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to ride the bike anymore. And you as the parent know that if they can just keep at it, they will learn how to balance themselves. They will learn how to keep the bike upright because you know how much more fun they're going to have once they're out riding the bike in general. And so when we're painting ourselves or our children in a positive and successful picture, then that becomes the most likely outcome. Well, Van Dora said something really beautiful. Uh, he may, I'm going to quote him here. He said, people's beliefs about their abilities have a profound effect on those abilities. Ability is not a fixed property. There is a huge variability in how you perform. People who have a sense of self-efficacy bounce back from failure. They approach things in terms of how to handle them rather than worrying about what can go wrong. Right. So to go right back to teaching kids how to ride a bike, that's where you're getting them, bringing them from that place of, you can do this. This is, you know, look at your other friends. Some can ride, some can't, but they're all learning. And so it's, it's important that peer modeling, so that when they see Susie or Johnny doing the things that they want to do ourselves, right? When we have a plan for where we want to go, we can look at other people and how did they get there? So we can look at and say, well, if they got there, so can I. You know, there's a big debate that goes on sort of off and on around that if somebody's not allowed in and you can't see yourself there, it'll be really difficult for you to get there. So like that's why all of the advances lately that we've been having in, you know, women getting into places that we've not been allowed in the past or that there's always been just this automatic negative. So finally having a woman vice president, finally getting women CEOs, finally having more and more women on boards of Fortune 500 companies. Because what that does is that, that also changes how those around her see that position and those capabilities. And so it's important that we learn from examples. We can learn from the examples we don't want to be. Like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy who, uh, you know, just screwed up his entire career that he worked so hard for because he did something really stupid. But it's like, oh, but I can get to that by senior vice president position or I can get to that, you know, CEO position as long as I, if I can see it, I can be it. And sometimes we have to see it in our imaginations first because there isn't really any person who's already there. 
I agree with you so much. And it's so important that we at least take a stab at trying something new that maybe we're treading new waters on. And what happens is that people gain higher levels of self-efficacy when they stick to something that they've set out to. And that has positive reinforcement on multiple ends. And that could be, for example, sticking to an exercise routine. Mm -hmm. Due to it, the goal of finishing the workout could be that, well, I've done this. I feel really good about this. And not only that, the benefits of doing the exercise, knowing that it's helped my body and maybe it's even helped me with my mental wellness because we all know that when we exercise, the stress reduction is really great for clearing our minds. And, you know, self-efficacy is also a factor that helps people to adopt other healthy lifestyle choices. And once you're in that mindset of, hmm, healthy movement, uh, how about now let's trying to eat a healthy diet or perhaps eliminate smoking from our lives, whatever you would want to use it for, there are a lot of psychologists that believe that self-efficacy can be applied in ways that do promote a healthy lifestyle. Look, to sum it up, most of the time when people are motivated to be successful, it means that they're likely to achieve whatever goals they set out for themselves, and that will contribute to increasing one's level of self-efficacy. So, Tammy, let's continue this dialogue as we move into our next episode and talk more about motivation and how we can break free from areas of where we're stuck. Thank you so much for joining us on Coach My Wellness. Join us on Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. on our Instagram Live at CoachMyWellness underscore CMW. Also, subscribe to our newsletter on our website at coachmywellness.com. And please reach out to us if you have any questions or you have any topics that you'd like to have us discuss with you. We are open to hearing from all of you. So please reach out to us on our website. Thank you again for joining us this weekend on 360 Talk Radio for Women. Bye. See you next week. You've been listening to Coach My Wellness. For more information about healthy habits and behaviors, visit our website at coachmywellness.com and follow us on Instagram at coachmywellness underscore CMW for weekly live streams Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. We hope to see you there.